Listen, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. You guys, we'll get into Mark next week. Daniel chapter 9, the God of the great comeback. Can't wait to get into this. We're going to receive communion. And I'm going to give a shorter message. I'm going to give a shorter message. Oh, Lord, help me give a shorter message. <laughs> but I, I really believe I think, uh, I think I am. All right, Father, I, I pray, what is it you'd like to say to us? Thank you for the most beautiful church family. You know what's taking place in every life here represented, in every soul. You know, you know, you know. And I, almost, I thank you, Lord. You always give us what is good to our highest good. And I um, want to pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, draw them to yourself. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Aharius, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the, what's the next word, you guys? Books. All right, the Bible. We're going to talk about the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Well, here's Daniel inspired by the Bible. It's going to inform his thinking, his outlook, and his actions at this particular time. Here's the context. You're talking about Jerusalem having been destroyed, exiles taken back to Babylon. Daniel is one of them. But this is the beginning of one of, of, one of the greatest comebacks in the history of man. I mean, at this particular time, Daniel is in, just basically think, modern-day Iran. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Look, I just came from Jerusalem, obviously. But actually, we went to David City and got a wonderful tour, kind of behind the scenes. And I got to hold in my hand, I've never done this before, they, I got to hold in my hand a, um, an, an arrowhead that they're not sure when it was, it was associated with the destruction of Jerusalem, but it could have been Babylonian, could have been this time period. It could have been Roman, it could have been, uh, it could have been the Barcoba revolt, but it's like it speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem. This idea that in history, Jerusalem was destroyed, and you have hundreds of thousands of Jews taken hundreds of miles to the east to what is basically modern-day Iran, that happened. I mean, the archaeological evidence is off the charts, right? Jerusalem was destroyed. Then you have Jews after 70 years in exile. And this is what Daniel is reading about. It's like 66 years into the exile, he's reading Jeremiah that says, hey, there's going to be 70 years. And then a door is going to open for Jews to begin to return to Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem had totally destroyed and it's going to be rebuilt. And it was quite a process, but it speaks of an extraordinary, like one of the greatest comebacks in the history of man. And listen, there's nothing like the story of a great comeback that inspires us. I mean, one of my most favorite movies, I don't want to digress on this, is called The Darkest Hour, and it's about Churchill, right? So it kind of opens up. I mean, you're talking about 300,000 uh, 
British soldiers on the beach of, uh, oh, what beach were they on again? Dunkirk, thank you. I have a little jet lag, sorry. Anyways, uh, um, Dunkirk, and then like France is being invaded, Nazism throughout Europe. I mean, the demonicness of Hitler and stuff. And uh, the, the, the Brits are just frustrated with Chamberlain, needless to say, and they tap, they tap the great Winston Churchill, who at that time was kind of past his prime, or was he? And he has the courage to stare down evil and ends up leading the Western world uh, to victory over the demonic Nazis. You talk about a great comeback there. Hey, listen, have you ever been a part of a great comeback? I've been thinking about that. I think in my day, maybe in one football game, we were down and came back, and I still remember it. But let me just say this. Every one of us, one day in Christ, are going to be a part of the greatest comeback in the history of man. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. And we're going to be with him. Let me show you this verse on the screen. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. In other words, we're coming back with the Lord. And by the way, he's coming back to Jerusalem. Oh man, so much of our faith has to do with Jerusalem. And as I mentioned the passage before us tells us the story here of the beginning of one of the greatest comebacks in history. Look, when the Babylonians came in Jerusalem, it was like three waves. 605, Jerusalem was attacked. Daniel and others taken back. 597 BC, Jerusalem was attacked. The treasure was taken from the temple. 587 BC, Jerusalem falls and the nation was exiled. So look, when Daniel is reading this, as I mentioned, it's the 66th year, four years out from the 70th year for which Daniel, okay, is reading from Jeremiah that, yeah, there would be exile, Jerusalem would be destroyed, but there's going to be a great comeback. Like, let me show you this next verse. We have it on the screen. How many of you know this verse? In fact, let's just read it together. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Can I hear a big amen to that? Is that not awesome or what? Hey, but guess what? That's in the context of the Lord telling Israel in this very context that we're reading that there's a hope for Israel, that Israel lives. In fact, the verse right before it, let's look at it, we have it up on the screen, is actually, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word towards you, and cause you to return to this place. And then the next verse is, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, think about this. The prophet Jeremiah, I mean, years prior, you know, was pinning this. During his lifetime, he was warning his generation of breakdown and inevitable judgment. He was calling them to repent. No one listened to him. I mean, we believe he was called about 17 years of age. He was known as the weeping prophet. He's warning Israel of impending judgment. The result would be total devastation. Forty years, man, he's trying to get them to repent. But just get this. What's interesting is 
His words, even though they weren't heeded in his generation, his prophecies end up being the lifeline to future generations that basically says Israel will live. God is not finished with Israel. Israel will live. God's plan is unfolding in and through Israel, ultimately the Messiah of Israel. And that's what Jeremiah is reading. He's like, in exile, he's never going to see Jerusalem again. But he knows that he's going to be a part of a process because what was critical is, is that Israel in exile start to return to the Lord and make their prayer and confess their sins. Remember, Nehemiah did that. That was all a part of triggering these promises that would get Israel back into Jerusalem and ultimately Messiah impacting the entire world. Now look, I I mean, look at verse 7, for example. Just jump down to verse 7. He says, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as as it is to this day, the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all, what's the next word, you guys? Israel. Look at verse 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law. He goes on to say, written in the law, Moses, the servant of God, has poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Look down at verse 20. Like this, this is about Israel. I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, and the sin of my people. What's the next word? My people what? Israel. Hey, listen, today, I mean, we, we've been talking about front and center is the issue of Israel. You know, I, and I mentioned this like weeks ago, and thank you for your patience here, but I've lived long enough, and we all have, I think, to know what September 11th was, and Israel's September 11th, which is October 7th for them. But I was a young pastor of about 33 or 34 years of age, so when these Islamics came and invaded our country and the towers and the planes and stuff, I mean, I didn't know a lot about Islam. Um, and, you know, I remember Franklin Graham telling us about crazy extremist Islamics and stuff. But it was like, not on my radar screen. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that was the year Starbucks came to our city. No, just kidding. Anyways, so, no, I was thinking about other things, right? Christian concerts and I wasn't thinking about that. So it kind of took us, it took me, like, I was taken by it. And we had to kind of catch up with what is this extreme is a long story short. Well, now you have this issue of Israel, and, and this is a teaching moment. And I've said it before, I want to say it again. The reality is, is that Israel presents a test that we must pass. It presents a moral test. And the moral test is that Israel's on the front lines of evil ideologies that seek the destruction of Western civilization, replace it with Islamic world order. It is an enemy of all of us. So whatever one thinks of Israel theologically, I mean, we all have to pass the test morally. Otherwise, we're being seduced by evil itself. Number two, every Christian must pass the theological test, which is God's unfolding plan, turning past, eternity future, in and through Israel, the Messiah of Israel, the Davidic king. And it gives us perspective to another layer of why there's such radical anti-Semitism. Because the world has been rescued by the perfect Israelite who gave himself on the cross and then resurrected, and he's coming again. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? 
So you have this crazy anti-Semitism that is being stirred up, and it's for lots of reasons, but a deeper meaning is that it's demonic. It is an attempt to undermine God's unfolding plan in and through Israel and the Messiah of Israel. Look, what was necessary, as I mentioned, to trigger the promises of God, i.e., hey, after seven years, future and a hope, and the door's going to open, and there's going to be three waves of, you know, there's going to be uh, Ezra and Zerubbabel and Ezra and then Nehemiah, and there's going to be rebuilding of Jerusalem. But what's critical is that they make, this is very important, you guys, that they make their prayer. Look, look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. As it is written, in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before God, before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. So a lot's being said here, but let me try to simplify. The Lord said to Israel, look, if you step outside of original design, like you worship idols and you're not repentive, um, you're going to break down and you're going to be vulnerable for judgment from the outside. And in fact, judgment that leads you literally taken out of your country, out of Israel, the land of Israel. But if you return to me, it's the Mosaic covenant. If you return to me, I'll bless you. So what, what Daniel is saying here is like, hey, um, I just love this idea. We haven't made our prayer yet. It's just a beautiful picture, okay, how prayer is a trigger for new beginnings. I mean, it's like we have not because we ask not. In this case, this was a prayer he gave himself entirely to. We should give ourselves entirely to our prayer if we're talking to the Lord himself. But he says, if you go to verse 4, thank you for letting me kind of jump around here. But actually, verse 3, he said, I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confessions that, oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts, your judgments. Neither have we, your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings and princes, to our fathers and all the people. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is today, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near, far, countries to which you've been driven because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings and princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we've rebelled against them. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel 
has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured on us because we have sinned against them. We could just go on and on. But the point is, is that Daniel's like, hey, I'm reading in the Bible, and the Bible is the truth, um, inspired by God. It's going to inform my thinking, my outlook. Hey, you know what we need to do? Man, we need to make the prayer. We, we, need, we need to confess our sins. It's, it's an it's essential part to the triggering of the promises of God and ultimately the return of Israel to the promised land. Are you guys with me on this? Like, think about it. When Jesus ascended to heaven on the 40th day after his resurrection, 10 days later you have Pentecost, but in between that time period, what was the church doing? They were praying. They were praying. While Daniel never saw Jerusalem again, he was a part of the process of making Jerusalem great again. Do you like that one right there? It's true. Now, someone should hurry up and do like a T-shirt on that one right there. Just give me a, you make a lot of, well, forget that. Sorry about that. No, I mean, it's true. But we, not to be cute, but we are all a part of making Jerusalem great again. It's the truth. So much of our lives has to do with Jerusalem. And while he would never see Jerusalem, again, God bless him. Uh, he was a part of a central trigger that led to the doors opening and for them to return to Jerusalem. But here's what the rebuilding of Jerusalem tells us, and I think we have it on the screen. It's in your notes. You know what? God is the God of the great comeback. He just is. Nothing is too great for him. Number two as I just mentioned, nothing is too hard for God. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I mean, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, because it happened, right? God's Promises are true. That's what it tells us. The Bible says, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. And it also tells us that we are called to step into the story. There's a story. There's an unfolding story. That's what I was trying to tell the speaker in the Knesset. And I, I think he understood it. There's an unfolding plan here. And it has to do with the Messiah. And we are to kiss the sun. How many of you know that psalm? It's Psalm 2. It's he, the Mashiach, the anointed. And we are to worship him. We are to kiss him. It's a picture of adoration and worship. This is what we're called to do. But listen, you guys, when we receive communion, what we are doing is we're celebrating this unfolding story. When Jesus died on the cross, while he cried, it is finished, the work of salvation actually continues. So it's not like he didn't say it's done. You know, it's just all done like in terms of God, you know, sins forgiven, you, know, you have guarantee of going to heaven. No, it's like, no, actually his, his plan is he's coming back, right? 
and he's commissioned us as ambassadors of Christ in the here and now. So the question becomes, seriously, and, I, and I'd like you to turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 11, because we'll make a little segue to receiving communion this morning. But you guys, when we receive communion, it's like we're celebrating the story, and we are saying afresh, we're going to step into it. We're going to step into it. It's like Daniel, who stepped into the story, did his part, was a part of impacting future generations. Like, we want to step into the story and has so much to do with Jerusalem. It's true. In fact, I think we have the verse on the screen even. And it's verse 26. I had you turn to 1 Corinthians. Yeah, thank you so much. Chapter 12. But verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Let's read the last three words together. Till he comes. Yeah, like to where? Well, he's returning to Jerusalem, and the Bible says he'll judge the nations. And, the, and Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. It's like the great comeback, and not to be cute, but it's like, no, the greatest comeback in the history of man will be the coming of Jesus Christ at the darkest hour in human history. And we will just be in, admiring our Savior and King. And in the meantime, look, when we receive the bread, in the context that Jesus ate the bread, it's a Passover meal. I mean, it's like he's celebrating this unfolding plan. I mean, Passover speaks of the great deliverance out of the tyranny of Pharaoh, who's really a type of Antichrist. I mean, he's, he's murdering Jews. I mean, he, he's attempting to undermine free speech, religion, expression, obedience to the true and living God. This is a guy who, like, is shaking his fist at Almighty God. Sounds like our governor. No, sorry, I just had to get that in. But it's like, it's like, whoa, what are you doing? Jeez, oh my goodness. Well, it's a little foreshadowing of what is to come. Because that deliverance in Egypt was a preview and prophecy of a greater deliverance 1,300 years later, we talk about it all the time, to the day, Passover, Nisan 14, Jesus is lifted up on the cross. And you know when he was lifted up on the cross, the Bible says the veil in the temple, which is like monster veil, 18, 24 inches thick, was torn from top to bottom. Talk about a demonstration to his generation that now there's access to the Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. So like when I eat of the bread, the bread goes back to a story of Israel's expedient departure. They don't have time for their bread to rise, sobering cost of redemption and death. It's like, okay, Jesus said, now do this in remembrance of me. It's like, don't, remember the story. Remember this thing is unfolding. Remember like God hates tyranny. He's called us for freedom, freedom of worship to, wor wor to worship God, and that God's call is in and through Israel, impact the entire world. But now, I want you to eat the bread. Remember now, I am the central figure in God's unfolding plan. And when you eat of it, it's like it's picture of I am in you, and you are in me, and now you're a part of a body. You're a part of a 
a community. We're one in Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that? Hey, listen, we're going to have our differences, but we have much more in common than we don't have in common. We need to learn to celebrate it. It's like uh, once you become a Christian, I talked about this all the time, but you get a lot of crazy uncles, man. I mean, it's all and immediately, right? And you need to learn to love and be patient. We're all in process of becoming more like the Lord. And then the cup. Oh, well, in the Passover meal, it was the third cup of redemption. It was actually the cup that spoke of the lamb's blood in Egypt. But Jesus said, no, this is, this is symbolic of my blood, like launching the new covenant. Oh, man, this is all big. We don't even have time to develop it. But it's like the point is, is... Um, the point is, is it all speaks of stepping into a story. It's like Jesus says it is finished, but his work continues. It's finished like he paid the debt of our sin, a ticket to heaven, security, right relationship, but his work continues in and through us. Can I hear a big amen to that? So it's like, watch, here's how we can be Daniel this morning. We can be like a Daniel by receiving his forgiveness. He did not die in vain. There's no sin he will not forgive, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's that divorce. I mean, I don't know. It's like, hey, nothing is greater than the cost he paid for us for our cleansing. So he wants you to receive it. Like my pastor Chuck Smith would say, you want to be a good receiver. I mean, that's actually a sign of worship of God, right? I mean, why? Because it says Jesus paid it all, and I believe it, and I receive what he accomplished for me. So you receive, look, you're forgiven. I mean, the Lord doesn't even see your sin. He doesn't want that over your head. So get past your past afresh this morning. Can I hear an amen to that? All right, so, and then be a good, uh, a good forgiver. Because one of the chief ways the Lord continues his healing in our life is that we forgive those who have trespassed against us. This is not emotionally driven. If we're waiting to feel like emotionally stable to forgive, sometimes we'll be waiting our whole lives. We have to understand that to forgive doesn't mean forget. It means forgetting. It means like, you know, I'm not going to hold this debt over their head, hold them hostage uh, until they meet my expectations. The Lord does not want us inspired by bitterness and hatred, but by gentleness and kindness and forgiveness. That's an act of faith. That's an act of obedience. But man, that is essential to healing. Otherwise, the absence of forgiveness keeps us under the injury. And that injury morphs into bitterness, hatred. And not to be hyperbolic, it morphs into murder. They, what do you mean murder? He's talking about murder. Um, how about to the extent you devalue a human life and wish they were dead? I mean, that's the seed of murder itself. So Lord wants us to be a good receiver. He wants us to be a good giver. Listen, he wants us living holy lives. Be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. It's like this is my body. He wants us to make contri contribution in prayer, in love. Good job for being here this morning. I'm really so proud of you. No, really, because we need to be committed to worship with each other. Aren't you strengthened by believers when you show up and you, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not alone and we're in this together. No, it's the truth. 
It's the truth. If we isolate ourselves, we isolate ourselves. We're not wise. We are stronger together. And by setting our face to the Lord, like Daniel set his face to the Lord, um, like Daniel, what are we doing? And we're making our prayer. This is, this is what I want us to do. And Joe, can you come up at this time? But we're not done. This is, no, this is like the most important part of this morning, and then we'll receive communion, which will be more important than this. But church family, listen, here we are at the beginning of 2024. Thank you so much. And Joe's going to play a little bit in the back. But we all got the idea that, man, once Daniel made that prayer, it was like this trigger of new beginning. You never want to underestimate the power of prayer. And prayer says a lot about who we believe God is, and it says a lot about who we are. So I want to encourage everyone, and we're just going to remain in an attitude of prayer. Okay, so we're going to be still, just quiet, meditative, prayerful. But it is important to, to make, make the prayer of confession of sin. Because the Bible says that a, a foothold, a door of compromise leads potentially to a stronghold. And the Lord wants us free from a wrong trajectory in our life, free from corruption that morphs and worsens. So we're, we're going to actually, we're going to go through a few areas and we want to pray, but let, let's pray right now. Father, we love you. And, and just like David said, search our hearts and minds. You know, we are your sons and daughters. You don't want anything to be ripping us off. You don't want anything to be desensitizing us that leads to disintegration. I mean, not, you don't want it. You, you die, didn't die in vain, and we believe it, Lord. So just like Daniel who stepped in like, and brought his sin before you, uh, we, we, and just in this quietness of our hearts, search our hearts, search mine, Lord. Search my heart. And like David said, reveal if there's any, any wasteful, crazy, morphing offense to you and that which would be harmful to me and to others. So just in an attitude of prayer, let's take a few moments and let's give room to the Holy Spirit. So we're just being still. We're not, this is not a prayer out loud. This is between you and the Lord. But let's, let's at 220, let's make our prayer at the beginning of the year if need for confession of sin. And, and the Bible says, look, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's just be still before the Lord. Then we're going to go to another area we want to pray for.
Listen, the second area, let's make our prayer of availability. I mean, this was Isaiah um, who said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. You know, the Lord is not so much looking for ability in our life, right? He's just looking for availability. Um, oh, this is, this is such a beautiful prayer as well. But, um, you know, may, may, may we all just step in uh, t- with our Heavenly Father and, and say, Hineni. In the, in the Hebrew, it's Hineni. Here I am, send me. Here I am. So let's just spend some time just to say, Lord, available. What do you have for me? Give me the strength to step into it, to obey, to respond, to, to be, for your life to be glorified in and through me. Let's just spend some time in prayer. Prayer of availability. We want to be new wineskins, Lord, help me, help all of us. Meaning that idea flexible and open to the work of your spirit in our life. In the third area, let's make our prayer of being filled with the spirit. The scripture says, see that you walk circumspectly, which means with precision, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is waste, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's like, you know, we're all in process, church family, needless to say. Just think of our lives like a really big mansion with a lot of rooms. But our prayer is that the Lord has the key to every room that we are filled with the Spirit. Boy, this is a need we have on a daily basis. So let's make our prayer, Lord, fill me afresh. Have all of me. I surrender to you. speaking of the Holy Spirit, look, this is a generation that is going to reveal the source of our strength as believers, which is prayer, which is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, if, if you're ever in this whole process of prayer thinking, wow, man, I, I need help. Well, listen, that, that is great because it does speak to our need for the help of the Holy Spirit. He is our strength. 
And, um, and Father, thank you. We can just come boldly to your throne and obtain help. You, you promised help and grace in time of need. And lastly, let's make our prayer of just making Jesus known in our generation. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. And therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. Let me be clear. Not everyone in this room has a primary gift, let's say, of evangelism, right? Um, but there are some here who are very gifted in making Jesus known. But the reality is, is, is impacting a generation is a team effort, and it requires availability, saying, here I am, Lord, um, planting seeds of love and courage and truth, never underestimating the power of Scripture, the invitation even for our loved one to attend church to hear the gospel. The reality is we're all a part of the harvest uh, in our generation. So let's just pray, Lord, here I am. Use me however you see fit. And even praying the Lord raise up, you know, great workers that uh, we can all be a part of in our time. Let's make that prayer.